Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. One of the key terms we use in Christianity is that grace, the grace of God, is something that is free. But the question I want to ask today is, does grace really cost nothing? It seems like the Bible is not suggesting that grace costs nothing. In reality, you and I know that nothing costs nothing. That is why when you walk into a shop and someone wants to give you something for free, you are immediately suspicious because you want to know what's the catch. You know, if something is too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. Um, Or we know this truth that nothing costs nothing. I believe it's the same actually when it comes to the gospel. Nothing costs nothing, and even the gospel did not cost nothing, especially to God. Now, before we unpack this topic, the cost of grace today, uh, I want to just remind you that we are in a series called Grow, and we are introducing a new resource or a new tool um, to our church called First Steps with Jesus. Now, the Grow series or First Steps with Jesus is a resource. It is a, a Bible reading plan of 20 days where we discover some of the foundational truths about uh, truths about Christianity and, and how to take your first steps with Jesus. And uh, we've got this uh, reading plan together with some daily devotionals and videos on our YouVersion, uh, on a YouVersion Bible app. And so if, if you've got the YouVersion Bible app, you're welcome to look for it there, grow First Steps with Jesus and download it and also do that with us as a church. If you are not a person who uses YouVersion on your phone, you're welcome to go to www.firststepswithjesus.com and uh, you'll be able to find all of the, resource, the resources there, the, the booklet as well as the videos and it's available in both Afrikaans and in English. The reason why we want to introduce this to our church is firstly for those who are new in the faith. Those who are busy taking their first steps with Jesus, we want to equip them and make sure that they lay solid foundations uh, in their walk with Jesus. If you are someone that have been walking with Jesus for a longer time, I want to encourage you to do this 20-day reading plan with us and rediscover, rediscover some of the old truths as you, as you uh, fan into flame that passion uh, inside of you. And then also, uh, this is a wonderful resource if you want to help someone else take their first steps with Jesus. If you've got a colleague or a friend or a family member that is curious or excited about Jesus, then this is a wonderful resource to do with them as they discover what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, So make sure you join our church on that. So just to get back to our question, does grace cost nothing? Now, um, one of the places we have to go in order to understand this relationship that God has with us as people uh, is actually to the Old Testament, to this concept of a covenant relationship. Uh, If we read the Bible, it's actually quite evident that the only way that God relates to us as humans is in covenant relationships. Uh, That's the only way that God relates to humanity is through covenant. Now, the question is, what is a covenant? Now, in modern day, we don't use the term covenant very often. Uh, A term that we use is the word contract. Uh, But you see, the thing is with a contract, a contract is not exactly a covenant, but it has some elements that are similar. You see, a contract, when you sign a contract with someone, it is a legally binding document that you sign, um, and you go into an agreement with one another. And in a contract, there are terms and conditions. Uh, Both parties need to to honor the terms and conditions of that contract. 
And if both parties honor the agreement, then there is blessing for both parties. It's a win-win situation. But if you break the contract, if you don't, don't honor and uphold the terms and conditions, there will be penalties uh, for that. Now, in the same way, a covenant is the same way. It has terms and conditions. If you honor the covenant, the agreement, then there will be blessings. And if you don't honor the, the covenant, there will be penalties or rather curses is what the Old Testament speaks about. But you see, the, a, a covenant is not less than a contract, but it is way more than a contract. Because a covenant is not only speaking about law, it's also speaking about love. The language usually connected to covenant is a very relational language also. And so that's why something like a marriage between a husband and a wife is very similar to a covenant relationship. In fact, the Bible calls us to go into covenant with one another. Um, it is a relational agreement where we love one another, but also next to that, we sign a document to make that agreement and that love we have for, for one another, to make it a legally binding agreement with one another. Now, God goes into a similar sort of relationship with humanity. God has been relating to people, um, especially to the Israelites, in a covenant relationship. And uh, there's a, a, a beautiful um, passage in Deuteronomy 29, and it's a quite surprising passage in Deuteronomy 29, where Moses is reminding the Israelites to uphold the covenant that they have with their God. You see, God had entered a covenant with them, and he's reminding them that if you honor this covenant, God will bless you. But remember, if you are not going to obey this covenant, there will be curses from God for this. And so a covenant relationship has got consequences. If you honor it, there's blessings. If you don't, there's curses. So Deuteronomy 29 verse 9, Moses says, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. So terms and conditions. If you do them, you will prosper. And then verses 20 and 21, uh, Moses is busy explaining about the man that is disobedient to this covenant, what will happen to him. And then it says, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him. Now this comes to, as a shock to us. As soon as we read the Bible saying, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him. We think, wait, I don't know this God. I thought God will always forgive it goes even further. It says the Lord will not uh, forgive him. Those that do not uphold the covenant, that don't uphold the terms and conditions of this covenant, he won't forgive them. But rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. And so it's this promise that is made. If you do not follow the terms and conditions of this covenant, there will be curses over you. And we read that and we think, well, what about the grace of God? You know, this God that you're reading about in Deuteronomy is, is very different to the God that I've heard about in church or maybe in Sunday school. You know, what about the forgiveness of God? I thought God always forgives. And, uh, you know, God won't do something like that to people, will he? You see, we start asking this question, and there's this tension in the Bible. You know, is it that, that God is sometimes a forgiving God, but then some other times he's a very 
just God. You see, if a, a, a criminal stands before a judge, maybe for something like a murder or a rape, and that judge just says, you know, just forget about it. You seem like a nice guy. You know, just get out of here. We'll just forgive you. You will not say that is a good judge. You will say that is a wicked judge. And so in the same way, if God made an agreement and we made an agreement with him and we disobey that, God would be a bad judge if he does not honor this agreement, which comes with the blessing and the curses. And so is it you know, the, the case that God is sometimes just and then sometimes forgiving? Like 50% of him is just and holy, and then 50% of him is just forgiving and, and gracious. Uh, or is it maybe that this God in the Old Testament is different to the God in the New Testament? You know, did God sort of grow soft uh, over the years, and now in the New Testament, he's, he's just kinder um, than, we, than he was in the Old Testament. The Bible says, no, God doesn't change. Or is it that he is just, it's just that he's more gracious, and so in the end, his grace will overpower his own judgment. Um, or is it maybe the other way around? You know, I think many of us, we like that concept of, you know, love wins. In the end, love will win. In the end, God's grace will overpower his justice. Is that what the Bible is teaching us? Now, there's this interesting tension. There are so many times, hundreds of times, where, where God is saying, I will not bless a disobedient people. And, and God is saying, I'm not going to forgive you if you do not follow me. But then there's also hundreds of times in the Old Testament where God says that I will always forgive you. Where he's promising, he's steadfast and saying, I'm going to remain faithful even if you don't remain faithful. I'm going to bless you no matter what. And so it, it brings us to this question, you know, is, is the love of God or the blessings of God, is it conditional based on the terms and conditions of the covenant? Or is the blessings of God unconditional because he's just so gracious to us? Now, when we read the Old Testament, it's this beautiful story of uh, the Israelites uh, and God. And as they're walking together in this covenant relationship, and so often the Israelites turn their backs on God and they become disobedient to, to their God. And uh, we start asking this question and God remains faithful to them. He remains faithful. But then at a certain point, we start asking the question to ourselves, will God give up on his people or will he give in to his people? So it's either going to be one of the two. Will God give in to his people and just say, you know what, just forget about it. I actually don't care if you disobey me. It's all cool. I don't care about the fact that you are disobeying the agreement that we have with one another. Is he going to give in to them? Well, if so, then what about his holiness? Is he going to just forget about his holiness? Or is he going to give up on them and say, you know what, I'm a holy God. I'm over it. <laughs> This is enough. This is where I draw the line and he gives up on them. But if he does that, then what about his faithfulness? Is he going to let go of his faithfulness or of his holiness? And so it's asking the questions, are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? Now, this tension is actually the plot line of the Bible. <laughs> now, um, for many of us, when we see this tension, we either come down on one of the two sides. We either start reading our Bible very conservatively or we start reading it very liberally. So, so we either read in a way where we say, well, uh, the grace of God is secondary, but primarily it's his holiness and his justice. 
Or we read it in the other way where we say, well, primarily it's about the love and the grace of God, and secondary, it's about the law. Now, the problem is, if you read it only in the conservative way, you might fall into um, uh, becoming very moralistic or uh, moralism, where it's only about good works, just like the Pharisees. If you read it in the liberal way where we say, no, well, love wins at the end, you might fall into relativism, where there is no more truth anymore. Now, the question is then, which one is it? And so we see this tension going throughout the whole Bible, where we wonder, will God give in to his people? Will he give up on his people? It's his holiness versus his faithfulness. Now, in order to understand covenant even better, we have to go back to where this agreement was made. Now, Abraham was the father of the Israelites. And so constantly the Bible speaks about uh, the, the, uh, the God being this, this, the God of, of the Israelites. He is the God of Abraham and uh, Jacob and Isaac, and uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, who becomes Israel. And uh, if you go back to Genesis 15, uh, you'll see a beautiful passage of Scripture that explains this covenant that God actually made with Abraham. And that gives us a bit of a clue as to how this tension actually gets resolved. Now, in Genesis 15, verses 9 to 12, um, uh, God is promising Abraham that I want to bless you. I am going to bless you. And Abraham thinks this is wonderful, but he wants to make covenant. You know, how can I trust that you will bless me, God? And they enter into a covenant. So God says, okay, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And then God says to Abraham, go and find some animals. You're going to find some, some uh, like goats and, and certain kinds of animals and birds. And then I want you to slaughter them and cut them into pieces, and you'll put one half of the pieces on the one side and the other half of the pieces on the other side, and you're going to pack an aisle like that. Now, if we read this, we think this is extremely weird. Like, why so much blood? But you see, when God was telling this to Abraham, this was not foreign. This was very common because they understood this is how a covenant was made in this time. And so in this time of Abraham, that's how people would make a covenant. You would take animals and you would cut them in half. You put the one side of the animal on this side and the other side on that side, and you'll do that with a number of animals. And uh, I, I always wonder, you know, thinking about that, whether the animals were cut like this or whether the animals were cut like that. But regardless, they were cut in two and put on these uh, different sides and they would make this aisle. And what would happen is that the, the lesser important one, the servant, would make this covenant with the more important one, with the master or the Lord uh, in that situation. And then the, the, the servant would walk through this aisle. And as he's busy walking through this aisle, he's actually acting out the curses of the covenant. And what he's basically saying is that if I will not do what I said I will do, this covenant, this agreement that we made with one another, if I will not honor this covenant, may it be done to me as was done to these animals. You know, may I be split into two, may I be slaughtered like these animals. And they are acting out the curses of this covenant to show how serious they are about this covenant. And so God is entering a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham cuts the pieces and he puts the, the aisle down and then he waits for God to call him to go through this, this aisle. And then he waits and he waits and he waits. And then in Genesis 15 verses 17 to 18, the following happens. 
When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And then on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And so you see, God appears, just like he did at Mount Sinai as a, a pillar of smoke. God appears and he walks through this aisle and God makes a covenant with Abraham. Now, Abraham is startled. He's, he's shocked by this. The first reason for his shock is that he was expecting to walk through the aisle, to make the covenant with the more important one. But God goes through the pieces and God makes the covenant. And the second, second shocking thing about this passage is that Abraham never gets called to walk through the pieces. Only God does it. And so the reason why this is so shocking is that God, not only first is, is God uh, making this agreement, saying that if I am not going to do everything I said I will do for you, may it be done to me as was done to these pieces. This is what God is saying. But not only that, God is making the covenant for both parties. God is making the covenant on behalf of Abraham also. He's standing on both sides of this covenant uh, promise that gets made. And so this God, just think about this. This is an immortal God. He cannot die. An immortal God says, I am willing to be subject to a mortal death. I'm willing for my glory to be drowned in, in darkness if this covenant is not upheld to take the curses of the covenant. And that's exactly what happens. You see, many centuries later, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus was hanging on a cross and a thick darkness came down. A immortal God was hanging as a mortal person on a cross, dying a mortal death. And the glory of God was being drowned in darkness and Jesus fulfilled this promise of this covenant. Jesus fulfilled the terms and conditions of this covenant, that this covenant that was broken actually by us as human beings. Jesus, his sacrificial death, made sure that the curses of the covenant were met. Now, so the question, is the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? The answer is quite simply, yes. The blessings of God is both conditional and also unconditional. But you see, in the perfect life of Jesus, he upheld this covenant with God and he gained the blessings of God so that those who are in Christ also have got access to the blessings of God. But also in the sacrificial death of Jesus, he met all of the requirements um, uh, of this covenant so that the curses of the covenant were put on Jesus so that those who are in Christ no longer have to pay the penalties of this covenant or the curses of the covenant. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled all the conditions of the law so that God can love you unconditionally. Is the blessings of God, is the love of God, is it conditional or unconditional? Is grace free or does it cost something? It's both. It's yes. You see, Jesus paid the price so that you can receive the gift freely. Jesus met all of the conditions of the covenant so that you can be loved unconditionally. Jesus paid the price of grace. He paid the cost of grace 
so that you can receive grace freely. I want to end off just with this one illustration. It's like receiving a gift for your birthday or on Christmas. If someone gives you a gift, that gift is not costless. It costs someone something. The person giving the gift, the gift giver, had to pay for that gift. They had to purchase that gift. It is of value. And then they give it to you. And that's the wonderful thing about a gift, is that you receive something without paying for it yourself. But that doesn't mean that no one paid for it. It is extremely costly. It's the same thing with the gospel, is that grace came at a heavy cost, at a heavy price, but you don't have to pay for it. There's no work that you need to do. It's something we receive. And you see, this is the thing. If we preach a gospel where we say that God just forgives and uh, without, paying any, without any costs or any curses being paid for this gift, if it's just a God that says, um, well, just forget about it. I actually don't care about your sin. That is not a God that brings us to worship. That is a God that brings us to suspicion and that keeps people in the place of trying to work for something to prove themselves. But a gospel like this, when we understand that Jesus is the one that paid the price and that this is something that the grace of God is something that is valuable and costly, when we receive that, we understand we can receive it freely. We don't have to work for it because our trust is in Jesus. And a gospel like that leads us to our knees, to a place of worshiping Jesus. Now, after that, I want to invite you just where you are to either go on your knees or stand up with me as we pray and say thank you to Jesus for paying the price and for for achieving the blessings of God for us on our behalf so that we can enter uh, this freedom and keep on with this relationship with God. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we worship you. And God, we want to honor you, Jesus, that, that, that you um, are the one that paid the price for us so that we can receive grace freely. Uh, God, thank you that we don't have to add anything to the work that you have done. Thank you, God, for, for the perfect work uh, in your life uh, and, and on the cross, God, so that we don't have to do anything anymore to prove ourselves or to justify ourselves, God, because we know that we are now right before God because we are in you, Christ. Thank you for the wonderful free gift that you give us. And may we always remember just how much it cost God. And may that always bring us to a place of worship before you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.